Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Today, our study on the Sermon on the Mount has brought us to perhaps the most familiar but least understood passage. Let's look at these 11 verses. How do you deal with your enemies? Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. When someone wrongs us, our natural response is to get mad and to get even. But Jesus prescribed a far different approach for dealing with our enemies, so different that many write it off as impractical. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress teaches us to turn the other cheek when we're struck by injustice. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Jesus was a masterful teacher. He was also a magnificent storyteller. He was succinct and captivating. And gratefully, he spoke in terms anyone could understand about issues that confront us all. Is it any surprise that his famous Sermon on the Mount has endured generations as the most powerful message ever preached? Well, right now on Pathway to Victory, I'm presenting a teaching series about Jesus' sermon. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus. In addition to these daily studies on Pathway to Victory, I've also written a best-selling book for you. It, too, is called 18 Minutes with Jesus. The subtitle is Straight Talk from the Savior About the Things That Matter Most, and I truly believe that this may be the most life-impacting book you'll read all year. It will help you understand the pearls of wisdom that Jesus shared with us with the sole purpose of applying these gems to your daily life. Jesus spoke with boldness and practicality about issues such as dealing with your enemies, managing your money, and how to enjoy a pure and fulfilling marriage. To receive your copy of 18 Minutes with Jesus, just give us a call or go online to ptv.org. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. David will repeat these details later, and he'll give our complete contact information as well. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue to examine the masterful Sermon on the Mount. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Enemies. Today, we're going to look at some straight talk from the Savior about how to deal with our enemies. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. How do you deal with your enemies? Verses 38 to verse 42, Jesus said, first of all, we're to release our rights and not retaliate. And then in verses 43 to 47, he says, we are to love rather than hate. Now, let's start with release, don't retaliate. Verse 38, you have heard it said, and then he quotes from Exodus 21, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we've carried that idea into our legal system. Today, the Latin phrase is lex talionis, the law of retaliation. If somebody wrongs us, there is a measured retaliation, the Old Testament said. Well, the Pharisees took that rule and applied it to personal relationships where it didn't belong. And so in verse 39, Jesus said, when it comes to relationships, do not resist an evil person. 
Not only are you not to engage in excessive retaliation, you shouldn't seek retaliation at all. Now, again, we're not saying something Jesus isn't saying. Don't make Jesus say something he didn't say. He didn't say, don't defend yourself. Don't defend others around you. He didn't say, nations, if somebody drops a nuclear bomb on you, just turn the other cheek. He's talking about personal relationships here, ones that aren't governed by other Scripture. And we ought to be ready to release our rights rather than hang on to them, even with our enemies. For example, Jesus said we need to release our right to dignity. Look at verse 39 again. But I say to you, don't resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, when he talked about slapping somebody on the cheek, this wasn't kind of the full-fisted punch that breaks a person's jaw. What he's talking about here was a backhanded slap. It was a way of insulting another person, the backhanded slap. We have today the backhanded compliment. This was the backhanded slap. And what it meant was, I think so little of you, I'm not even going to give you a full face slap. I'm going to do it with the back of my hand. That's how little I think of you. What he's saying is, don't return insult for insult. That's tempting to do, isn't it? to want to one-up the person who has insulted you. You know, it reminds me of the patron saint of British insulters named Winston Churchill. <laughs> he was always coming up with good retorts to people who insulted him. On an occasion, playwright George Bernard Shaw invited Winston Churchill to attend the premiere of his play. Shaw wrote to Churchill, I am reserving two tickets for you for my premiere. Come and bring a friend if you have one. Churchill responded, impossible to be present for the first performance, we'll attend the second if there is one. <laughs> Lex talionis, the law of retaliation. I remember not long ago, a so-called religious leader published an open letter to me in a national publication. And I was just turning that over in my mind. I was on the way home, driving up the tollway, and as I thought about it, what I was going to say, I came up with a one-sentence zinger, and I was absolutely giddy about it. I mean, I couldn't wait to get home, to put it on the computer and hit that send button. But doggone it, I remembered this verse, <laughs> and I held on to my zinger. Now, I don't do it always. Sometimes I do hit the send button. But the best way to quench a fight is just to deal with it immediately by refusing to escalate the insults. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Go ahead and give up your right to personal dignity. Secondly, he says we need to be willing to release our right to property. Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. A coat was the most basic unit of clothing in the Middle East. Everybody had a right to a coat. And what is Jesus saying here? Is he, again, saying something that he really didn't say? Jesus isn't saying, if somebody's trying to harm you, it's wrong to go to court. It's not always wrong to sue. Even in Luke 18, remember the story Jesus told about the widow 
who was being taken advantage of. People were trying to unfairly seize her property. And she went to an unrighteous judge to seek justice. Jesus did not condemn her for doing that. When you look at 1 Corinthians 6 about suing other Christians, you have to understand the context. The city of Corinth, everybody was said to be a lawyer. And they would just sue one another for sport. Take somebody to court. Take a Christian to court to see if you could get something out of him. Paul said, don't do that. God is sovereign over the justice system. One of the channels by which he meets out justice is through the legal system. So he's not saying that it's always wrong to sue under every circumstance. But what he's warning about is an excessive focus on getting and keeping your rights can crowd out God in your life. If you've ever been in a lawsuit before, you know how it can just totally consume you if you're not careful. And Jesus said there are times you need to be willing to release your right to property. Paul talked about that in Romans 12, verses 19 and 20. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head." When you refuse to retaliate and sue and instead do something kind for your offender, what does that mean? You heap coals upon his head. That hurts. That's a way of bringing conviction into a non-Christian's life. So maybe he will want to know what's different in you that would make you respond that way to wrongdoing. Thirdly, Jesus said, sometimes we need to be willing to release our right to autonomy to do what we want to do. Verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too instead. Remember, this is your enemy. What is he talking about? Well, under Roman law, a Roman soldier could compel a Jewish citizen to carry his luggage or armament for one mile. Say, here's a Jew who's going on another errand. He's going to work. He's going to do something to his family. The Roman soldier has the right to compel him to drop his plans and go in the opposite direction with him, but he can only do it for one mile. The Jews hated the Romans. They were the occupiers of their land. Jesus said, if your enemy wants to interrupt your schedule and ask you to do something, go that extra mile. Teenagers, if your parents ask you to wash the dishes, don't just wash the dishes, dry them, put them in the cupboard. Employees, if your boss asks you to stay late and work, don't only stay late, but buy pizza for everybody else who's having to stay late and work as well. That's what he's talking about when he says, go the extra mile. Fourth, he said, be willing to release your right to money. Now, this is where Jesus goes from preaching to meddling right here. Verse 42, give to him who asks of you. And do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. What Jesus is saying is if somebody, even your enemy, needs something from you and you have the means to provide that, don't refuse him. Give it to him. Now, again, there are boundaries to that. Proverbs talks about the dangers of lending money. But the idea is hold your money loosely. It doesn't belong to you anyway. Ultimately, it belongs to God. Hold it very loosely. That's what he means when he says, give to him who asks of you. You know, I, again, don't do this all the time, but I try to do it more. 
If I run into somebody on the street and they're obviously destitute and they ask for money, my past response has been in years past, oh, I better not give them money. Who knows what they will do with it? They might buy wine or drugs or do something else terrible with it. I've now come to realize that's not my responsibility. If I uh, have the money to do it, I just do it, give it to them and leave it up to God and ask God to bless that some way. Hold your money, hold your possessions loosely. Will you get ripped off? Sure you will. But it's a reminder that all your possessions belong to God. Now, Jesus said, first of all, how do you deal with your enemies? Don't hold on to your rights, release your rights, and don't retaliate. But then he goes a step further. He says, love, don't hate. That's a step above what anybody would expect. Not only are you not to retaliate against your enemy, you're to love and even pray for your enemy. Look at verse 43. For you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, in your Bible, the words you shall love your neighbor are probably in all caps, like in my Bible. That means it's a quotation from the Old Testament. And that's Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor. But the words and hate your enemy aren't found in the Old Testament. The Pharisees came up with that one. They added to what the Old Testament said. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But Jesus said, I say to you, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What in the world does that mean? Love your enemies? That's unrealistic, isn't it? This week, a well-known reporter from the New York Times called me, and he said he was doing a book on the former president. And in his research, he had come across a story that I was involved in, and he wanted to call and ask me if this really happened or not. So I said, well, shoot, tell me what it is. He said, well, the story is that the night the president was acquitted of the impeachment charges by the Senate, he held a small dinner at the White House. He called it his unimpeachment dinner. And there were a few senators and congressmen there, and you were there. And reportedly, one of the senators was giving the president advice on how to deal with those who had just tried to eject him from office. And the senator said, you know, Mr. President, Jesus said, love your enemies. And according to this report, the president turned to you and said, Robert, what do you think about that? And you said, that's right, Mr. President. Jesus said, love your enemies. That means that you are to pray God's best for your enemies. It doesn't mean you're going to hang out with them or be united with them. The reporter said, now, did you say that? Did that actually happen? I said, well, that was before COVID and my memory's a little foggy. But I think I did say that, and if I didn't say it, I should have said it. Because that's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about love your enemies. He's talking about wish God's best on your enemies. The word he uses for love is not the Greek word eros, which means to be physically attracted to somebody. That's not going to happen. He didn't use the word phileo, which means a brotherly kind of affection for another person. He uses the word agapeo, 
a godlike love for your enemies. That's the kind of love we're to have for another person. And you know, it's that kind of love that has a way of cutting through the grime of the hateful actions and attitudes of the one who has wronged you. Corey Ten Boom had a wonderful ability to love with that kind of love. You remember her story found in her best-selling book, The Hiding Place, how God miraculously provided for her while she was in a Nazi concentration camp. In 1947, having been freed from that concentration camp, only a couple of years earlier, Corey traveled from her home in Holland to Munich, Germany, to bring a message of God's love and forgiveness. After she spoke, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat approached her. He had been a guard at Ravensbrück, the concentration camp where Corey and her sister Betsy had been imprisoned. The guard said, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. He said with his hand extended. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? His hand remained extended, and Corey wrestled with herself. Should she take his hand and offer him forgiveness? She prayed for God's help. And then she wrote, Woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. This healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, my brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's the kind of love God calls us to. Why are we to love that way? Jesus gives two reasons. He says, first of all, love makes us like God. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We are never more like Jesus than when we love and pray for our enemies. Isn't that what the Savior did on that Good Friday? As he hung, nailed to that cross, he said to those who had put him there, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. God calls us to that same kind of love as well. And secondly, love makes us different from the world. It's a way we distinguish ourselves as Christians, being able to want the best for our enemies. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's easy. Even the tax collectors do the same. Now, the tax collectors were on the bottom rung of Jewish society. They were Jews who were turncoats and collected money for the Roman Internal Revenue Service. They were the worst. And yet even they love those who love them. So there's no merit in that. But then he goes one step further, verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? If you're only friendly to other Jews, other people like you are, that's easy. 
even Gentiles, non-Jews, the scoundrel, mongrel, dogs who roam the streets of Jerusalem, even they do that. What reward is there for you? No, Jesus calls us to a higher standard. And he sums up his, his teaching on this entire subject of enemies with these words in verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect. That word means complete. You are to be complete as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus isn't talking about sinless perfection. We're not going to hit the mark every time, but we're able to hit it most of the time, and that should be our goal. Let me ask you a question today. As I've been preaching about how to deal with your enemies, has God brought to mind somebody who has wronged you in the past? or maybe in the process right now of hurting you? Are you tired of carrying around that vitriol, that bitterness, that hatred toward the other person? Are you tired of being consumed by how to get even with that person? Listen to what Jesus said. Let go of your rights. Don't retaliate. Make the choice to love and pray for that person instead of hating them. By the way, did you know it is impossible to hate somebody you're praying for? Can't do it. Prayer extinguishes that desire for revenge. And in doing so, know that you're reflecting your heavenly father. Booker T. Washington once said, I would permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. I was studying for this message and I came across some words from a Bible commentator from yesteryear who summed up this entire passage with these insightful words. He said, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is natural. But to return good for evil is divine. To love as God loves is moral perfection. And this is the perfection Christ tells us to aim at. Aim high, hit high. Aim at God and you will find your character and conduct slowly taking on a Christ-like quality. Nothing would surpass the righteousness of the world's scribes and Pharisees more than that. When I started this teaching series a few weeks ago, I confess to you that although I've been teaching from God's Word for more than 40 years, this is the very first time I've presented a study on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of surprising, isn't it? And I'll make another confession. Preparing this teaching series and writing this book were among the most fulfilling exercises of my life. Jesus' teaching is bold, clear, and courageous. And above all, his wisdom is so practical. I'd love to send you a copy of my best-selling book about the Sermon on the Mount. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus. You'll benefit from the wise counsel Jesus gave us on relevant topics such as finding genuine happiness, maintaining sexual purity, and forgiving your enemies. Again, the book is called 18 Minutes with Jesus, and a copy is yours when you include a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. In fact, as a bonus, and when you respond today, I'll also include the companion study guide as well. 
In closing, let me say a word of thanks for your generosity. Most of our TV and radio stations require that we pay them for airtime, and that's fair because they have legitimate expenses to cover. But as you can imagine, with hundreds of radio and television stations carrying Pathway to Victory, our monthly expenses have grown quite large. Even so, we remain focused on the outcome of our investment together, not our expenses. It's because we have faithful friends like you who understand that God is changing lives through Pathway to Victory. We are so grateful for you. And please, keep up the good work. Now, as we come into the weekend, don't forget you can watch Pathway to Victory on television. On Saturdays, you can see us at noon Eastern on TBN. And on Sunday, we are on hundreds of stations, including TBN at 10 a.m. Eastern and Daystar at 6 p.m. Eastern. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, We're going to say thanks by sending you the best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress called 18 Minutes with Jesus. As a bonus, we'll include the companion study guide. Call 866-999-2965 or visit our website, ptv.org. And when your investment in this ministry is $75 or more, we'll also send you the collection of audio and video discs for the 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also write to us, here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Jesus spent more time criticizing the Pharisees than any other group. So how could these seemingly devout men have gotten it so wrong? Hear a message called Straight Talk About Your Worship. That's Monday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.